Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. From the CyberHub Bunker and Studio, you're tuning in to the CyberHub Podcast Tech Corner. And now, join me in welcoming your host and CISO, James Azar. Welcome back to Veteran November here on the CyberHub Podcast and CISO Talk Podcast. If you're tuning in and listening for the very, very first time, make sure you subscribe right now. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe. Hit the bell button, folks. I'm so close to getting to where I need to monetize this channel that anyone else who subscribes, I will be forever grateful for. I've got a great guest on the show today, Shulam Keller, as he likes to go by Shalom because no one here can get his name uh, right. Shulam is a Shulam. Well, first, welcome to the show, and then I'll explain your name to our audience. Hi, it's good to be here. So very happy to have you folks. So I got to tell you something as a fellow tribe member like Shulam, in case you've missed it, um, when I saw his name pop up on the podcast list, I said, Shulam, I'm expecting an Orthodox Jew because only Orthodox Jews names their kid Shulam. That's like, uh, that's like Arthur in English, right? Like it's, it's, it's like only royalty will call their kids Arthur at this point, right? Like when was the last time you met an Arthur? Yep, I rest my case. I'm sure there's going to be an Arthur that's going to comment below this. But in Hebrew, his name, and you'll see it on the screen. So if you're listening, you can't see it. You'll have to go to YouTube to watch it. But Shulam in Hebrew is backwards of peace in Hebrew, Shalom. So it's a, it's it's very, very interesting. I put that on the screen um, for, for those of you guys um, that want to tune in. So Shulam, it's, it's great to have you on. Um, Veterans Day, folks, Veteran November here continuing, and um, Shulam Keller's joining us. And so, Shulam, you want to go by Shulam or Shalom for the podcast? Because I want to get people to say your name right. Like, Shulam, it's not that hard. Most people say it wrong anyway. Um, (laughs) Shalom is good. Uh, A lot of people go with that. Uh, Shalom also works. Uh, A lot of people know it that way as, like, that's how Americans pronounce Shalom. Is Shalom? Uh, I'm good. Well, well, well you got to remember one thing: like English doesn't have the sophistication of Hebrew, right? With the apostrophes yeah. under the letters, where you go uh or uh, 
right? And like, then when you have like different dialects with like modern Hebrew versus the Yiddish I grew up with, like, yeah. Well, like, is it the same name with an A with an O? I'm like, yeah, same name, different language, you know. But like, <laughs> I tell people who are familiar, you know, there's a billion Indians, and at least half of them are in technology. I say it's similar to the difference between Swati and Shwati, or Shankar and Shankar. You know, it's the same name, different dialects and languages. Yeah, well, Shulam is the right way to say it, folks. And I think if anyone reaches out to him and says it the right way, thanks to this podcast, see that smile on his face right there. That would be his smile. How did you know that? (laughs) I listened to the podcast. That's why. (laughs) So, uh, Shulam, talk to us uh, and share with us a little bit about what branch of the military you served in um, and, and how long you were enlisted for. Uh, Yeah, so I enlisted in the beginning of 2001. Uh, I was in the Army in the 101st Airborne Division, joined pretty much after finishing my high school years at the Yeshiva. I served for four years with the 101st, got my air assault badge, was very, very proud of it, you know, because I was very gung-ho as a private. Then uh, September 11 hit, like, I think between when I got to the unit and when they sent me to air assault school. So I knew I was getting ready to deploy. Uh, I went to Afghanistan for the first six months of 2002 and then spent the first year of the Iraq war over there. I went there by boat, actually. A small detachment of soldiers on a civilian cargo ship with all kinds of equipment, but that was an interesting adventure. I spent about a year there going from south all the way up to north and then back down again to go home a year later. Brilliant. Um, Very interesting. So you have a very interesting background. And I think um, I kind of want to talk about that for a second. We see I've I've had a lot of people from all kinds of different backgrounds on the show thus far uh, for Veteran November. And I think you highlight the ultimate diversity in our in our armed services, because you were a yeshiva student, you were in a, you grew up in a Chabad congregation. Chabad is one of the uh, largest um, streams of uh, Orthodox Jewry in the world. Um, there is a Chabad house anywhere you go. In fact, when I spent time in the UAE, there was a Chabad in the UAE before normalized relations, before today, before the peace agreement, before there were flights. Uh, yeah, between the two nations, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Chabad's kind of like uh, you know the Jewish version of McDonald's. That that is that is that is really really good. And so typically, you know, Chabad people, and I go to a Chabad shul now, right? So, you know, Chabad people don't typically leave. They don't typically go to the military. They they have twelve to fifteen kids. Um, anything under that, and you're just not in the game. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> right. Like, I mean. If, if you don't drive a huge white Chevy minivan that seats like, you know, and that's your family, that's not you driving people to and from shul. Um, it's, 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 it's very interesting. So, so, so what made you want to enlist leaving kind of like the, the Orthodox Jewish community and, and kind of going into the service? So, you know, the year 2000 was when the uh, dot-com bubble was bursting. And, like, a year before, I was all like, yeah, I know databases. I know HTML. I'm learning this and that and the other thing. I'm going to get a job. And then it was like, do you have experience? I was like, no, I'm just some little snit who knows how to code. I literally just finished high school, you know. 
So I was hanging out in the library all the time because, like, I would go home and on my old, like, 386 or whatever, I would, like, write HTML blind and then, like, go to the library and offload the FTP for people. And then they'd be like, oh, I have a web page. Like, you have a web page. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's like, feels like ancient history, the wild, wild west now when you talk about it, right? Right. No GitHub, um, no, no, no repositories, no IDEs. Yeah, final, 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 <laughs> real this time. Um, so, yeah, the army took me in with uh, not a lot of background. They just, you know, did really well on the aptitude test. And they were like, do you want to work in IT? And I was like, yes, I'd love to work in IT. And they were like, you can do like high speed bandwidth, line of sight, radio transmission. I was like, that sounds good, I guess. I'm not sure what you're talking about, you know. Six months later, I knew what they were talking about. And a year later, I was doing it in Afghanistan because somehow there started being a war going on in between when I joined the army. And like, as soon as 9 11, as soon as there's you know, they, they say, at first I thought it was confused too, because I'm from New York. And I remember like back in the day, there was like a small plane that the Empire State Building. And so we're coming off BT and this kid was on CQ, Glasgow, he comes running to me, like, not to like everyone, just to me, because I'm his fellow newbie, right? And he's like, hey, Keller, hey, Keller. I guess also because I'm from New York. He's like, a plane hit the Twin Towers. And I'm like, oh, like, Back in the day when some little two-seater hit the Empire State Building. Okay, whatever. Go inside start taking a shower. By the time I'm done with my shower, I'm like, oh, terrorist attack, you know. And, like, you remember you were in at the same time. The whole way the Army did everything. You need to show your ID card to get into the DFAC, you know. Yeah, it was, uh, it was it was a different period of time. I mean, yeah. I'm fascinated to learn your background because I think as 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 a fellow Jew and someone who you know spent time between Israel and here, I'm not very religious, right? Like I have a beard, but I don't have the the Chabad beard. I mean, your beard is actually trimmed because a typical Chabad beard would have like the long strands, right? The long strands. Um, um, which which you don't have, and, and I'm always grateful for Ben Shapiro because he's made it to be a clean-shaven Jew, an Orthodox Jew kind of a thing. Because um, typically, you know, you can't really, you know, Orthodox means you don't really shave; you grow the beard. Yeah, and I mean, so, you can be more like Matisyahu or some old Matisyahu. Right, old Matisyahu, new Matisyahus. I mean, when Matisyahu shaved his beard, that was that was insane. I know people yeah. are like, "What are you guys talking about here? What is this? Is this a you know?" But it's, it's, it's fascinating because the typical people in yeshiva don't go to the military. In fact, in Israel, the, the idea of recruiting yeshiva students to the IDF is still something that's a political and cultural battle to this day. I mean, th- there are Orthodox Jews in the IDF, um, and, but they're yeah. in their own units. They're typically in, the, in within their own units. They're and, and and they run them that way, meaning you know there there's no women in their units. They keep kosher. Um, they, they don't do anything on the Sabbath, um, on the Shabbat. But but you kind of uh, volunteered and, and 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 enlisted in the U.S. Armed Services, and and man, that's 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 crazy. That's awesome. That's that's a magnificent story. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, even when I was you know a teenager, for me, I was always more into the. The parts of the of the Torah and the mitzvot that were about, you know, being good to your fellow person. 
and about, you know, oh, do this ritual, oh, wrap leather straps around your arm on this day, and, you know, <laughs> three times at the end of your prayer on that day. Like, you know, I pray a lot louder with a $20 bill at the highway exit than I ever could with a talus on the head and shul, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you don't have absolutely. To say anything, you know, so, you know, I, I, I'm still very religious, uh, but not religious in the sense of from. Um, no, and that's okay. I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's fascinating. I think, you know, I've had people who were, you know, of Indian background who've enlisted in our, in our armed services and Arabs and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's all these different backgrounds, right? Because people have this kind of like mindset, right? That you're a Southerner and you're dumb if you enlist in the military, right? And, Typically, that's the mindset. That's if you, if you look at the way the entertainment industry labels military and the way they they highlight those characters. That's that's flipping bearish. I mean, my team in Iraq look was multicultural. You know, it was me from Brooklyn. Uh, let me see. In Afghanistan, we had someone on the on the team who was your typical otaku into anime and manga and 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 Dungeons and Dragons and all of that. Uh, there was a black Muslim on my team in Iraq. Uh, my team chief for both of the deployments. He came from coal miner stock. Was like as West Virginia as you come. And he works in IT. He worked in IT for twenty years in the army, and he's still in the field in IT. And he is very smart, you know. Just because his daddy and his grandpappy, or however they call it in, in the Appalachians, was you know mining coal, doesn't mean that they didn't have critical thinking skills in the family. I think those are those are great stereotypes that are promulgated by the media, but you know, any veterans can tell you that does not reflect their their experience right. in the modern army. And- and so thank you for setting me up for that. That's a beautiful uh, uh, setup for a home run. I appreciate it. I'll be Babe Ruth right now and just knock it out of the ballpark. Um, um, so h- here's here's why I say this, folks, is Veteran November and, and this project and why I started it in November. And we're recording in today's election day. And so it's it's one of those things where a lot of people are out there and they're not seeing hope. We're relying on politics to define us, but politics don't define us. Our service defines us. And the diversity within our armed services highlights the diversity of America and highlights the diversity of thought and service within America. The diversity of backgrounds that join the, join our armed services and are willing to give everything up for this country, are willing to, you know, give up their lives if that's what it takes in order to ensure that this country and, and the people of this country are protected and safe. And so having all these different backgrounds on the show, I hope that if you've been listening and this isn't the first episode you're tuning into can help you understand like the, just the, how amazing this country really is and beyond blue or red November 3rd or who's president or whatnot. Um, you know, our politicians are, you know, we elect, you know, 586 people, 587 people. If you consider Congress, what Congress is 480, sorry, Congress is 435, another 100 people in the Senate, 535, President, Vice President, those are the two other people you elect. So 537 people that we elect, but our armed services is so much greater than that. That's millions of people who volunteer to go into our military each and every single day, each and every single year that are from all walks of life, from all backgrounds. And here we have someone from a yeshiva, 
um, which is which is amazing. So let's talk a little bit beyond that. I've, I've, I've finished my rant and I've knocked it out of the ballpark. I hope uh, like 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 comment below. Um, so l- let's talk a little bit about your how'd you get into cybersecurity? What was that journey like? Was it in the military that it started, or or was it thereafter? Well, I guess I was a little security minded even you know before the military, where you know all my friends were like, oh, here's this little purple gorilla I can download onto my desktop. And I was like, are you sure that thing's not tracking your keystrokes? Uh, but, you know, when I went into the Army, they trained us in, in uh, security from the get-go. I had a secret, secret clearance. We all did. We handled cryptography, you know, and we understood, you know, this is how the keys are working. We didn't know the nitty-gritty mathematical details, but we, we understood that this is, you know, how you make sure. One example for, you know, is that we were in Talifar. We, we got mortared, and uh, I couldn't run for shelter because there's, you know, millions of dollars of secure equipment that my team chief is coming back from the chow hall with his with, with the keys to the shelter and i just need to stay here and make sure it's secure before it's... so in my book i think because it started in the army really where it was you know already within a context where you're heavily focused on physical security now they're training us up on on cyber security and, and info security on cryptography and uh and so in my head, there's no difference between physical security and cybersecurity. The key to my house has eight bits. The key to my computer has eight to the power of eight to the power of eight bits. But, you know, they're keys. And there's security procedures that surrounds those keys. You know, in the one case, it might be, uh, you know, uh, a motion detector and a camera by my front door. And in the other case, it might be an entire sock that's full of you know everybody who's logging and monitoring and all the all the automated software that's sitting and and doing the math to tell whether it's just you know high traffic or the beginnings of a of a denial of service attack you know this is all the same principles it's just the difference in modularity and scale and deployment and enforcement uh, but I see them all as being the same. So I went to school with the post-9-11 GI Bill, and I studied mathematics for five years. And I learned some of the, you know, deeper deeper concepts that go in. So, you know, when you're talking about, especially these days, when data sets that could be used for very simple, you know, the amount of, of data and calculations that go into something as simple as knowing where you might want to shop or knowing what, you know, when you say good food near me and, Google knows what kind of good food you'll find near you it's because it's based it on all the places where you've gone, especially the ones where they've prompted you for a review. And so I agree with, you know, this, this philosophy that essentially we've entered the age of the end of privacy, but that's not a reason not to be vigilant. Um, and, you know, I come to this matter with these three perspectives always in mind, the soldier, the mathematician, and the technologist, you know, the soldier is ready to go on the alert at any hint of a red flag, you know, soldier would rather have a hundred false alarms of, oh, a dog wandered into the wire than one not false alarm, you know, especially when you talk about integrated systems that are deployed onto the cloud. You never know that you're secure. You only know that you haven't been demonstrated to be not secure. Right. You know? So it's it's always a limit that you're trying to approach in a mathematical sense rather than an actual 
place where you are. This works for, you know, physical security as well. So talk a little bit about your transition um, from military to civilian. So, so you finished, you went to school, were you working while you were at school? What was it like to go from being, you know, in deployment for, for all those years and then coming back to a college campus? So I didn't go straight into school from transition. Uh, when I when I left the army, there was literally nothing in place to catch you. I mean, they'd send you for six months, but you'd get people being all like, "Well, ten years ago, this is when you know companies were starting to use ATS systems," and I didn't have a whole lot of skills. Part of that too was also I didn't have the math. I had you know whatever math I'd managed to teach myself along the way, but I didn't really have that sort of hardcore rigorous background. And so for me at the time, computer programming was always more scripting than actual, you know, thinking about things as like how they'll be deployed. Because, for example, when we were, you know, downrange, you know, instead of pinging this, that, that, that location, then you had to wrap it all up in a little batch file, you know. And even later on when I was like retrieving news feeds from the web instead of actually teaching myself a proper language to make API calls. I was a little on the easy side. And so I would like use curl to, you know, just type it to awk or something. Right. Um, then I, when I was in school, I, uh, I said, this is not going to work anymore. You know, the school was trying to be like, here, use Mathematica, use MATLAB. And I, I didn't even care to pay for them, much less for the way they were, structured the way they tried to do it Asked my little brother he's uh studying for a doctorate in europe somewhere in physical chemistry i think um i asked him to recommend a language he pointed me to python and i like python because python is a good bridge language between the way i think and the way computers do things my natural way of thinking about things is in pseudocode you know, what's okay. the algorithm that's going to accomplish this? What's the script that's going to do it? What's the automated pattern that we can deploy repeatedly and just change the configurations? You know, that's that's the way that's the way I think about things. So I started in pseudocode, like add here. You know, I don't worry about the details and the implementation. Then when it comes time to tell the computer to do it, computers don't understand pseudocode. Computers just know actual functioning. And so Python is a good bridge for that. The big drawback of Python is that it's slow. Um, it's not going to give you the big speed. Anything that works quickly in Python is because it's an implementation of something that's written in C. For example, NumPy for you know uh, matrix calculations or Pandas is on, built on NumPy for for data manipulation. Um, I've also been, you know, working a lot with uh, SIM tools, uh, alarm provisioning. Uh, I'm a big fan of the way Splunk is doing things. I like the way they've been moving lately into uh, utilizing machine learning. Uh, I think there's still a lot of a lot of work to be done in that regard. Also, um, Datadog, Elasticsearch. Uh-huh. Uh, and lately, uh, there's one that has come up on my radar. Snowflake. Snowflake, apparently, is a big sell. And I'm still investigating why it is such a so big one. Th- th- that's, that's interesting because when you talk about some of your technical skills, you come from a very technical background. Um, 
you were always curious te- technologically. You joined the military. You did more technology. I don't believe in black boxes. Like I know, I know exactly two kinds of black box. One is my command prompt, right? The other one is that little black box they print in a math book at the end of a theorem. And in my head, I think those two are the same box because a program is a proof. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, Shulam, let's let's talk a little bit about what you're doing today and and what your uh, path took you through to do that. Uh, so I'm actually in transition right now. I'm finishing up a year and a half of contract work with a Fortune 500 bank. Uh, the past year or so, I've been writing data pipelines. Okay. Um, focused on physical security. But again, there's going to be a cybersecurity component to that because if there's data moving around, you have to keep it secure. And, you know, even like... Sometimes people won't even realize how, like, they'll be like, but that's not technically secure data. I'm like, no, an individual record out of that is not secure data. But all of this in the aggregate with the contextualization of where it comes from, I can think of things that people might want to do with that, you know. (laughs) I have a runaway imagination, and also I have no desire to actually do any of those terrible things. So instead, I'm going to use my knowledge to prevent that from happening. Yeah, that's been, I'll tell you that that I've been an advocate that the CISO role should be the CSO role and mm-hmm. that physical security and cybersecurity are one of the same, right? If, if physical security is issuing key cards that end up getting um, duplicated, lost and used, and then your information is therefore accessed um, without authorization, um you know, having two different departments trying to vie for that is, is a bit more of a challenge. I also think that fraud should be under the CSO office um, and not under not under a different department. I feel like more, you know, I think as, as the role of the CSO starts to develop a little bit more and companies start to realize all the different umbrellas that need to go under the InfoSec um, office, we'll, we'll start to see the CISO role elevate. I, I strongly agree with that assessment. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting... We, we've got a very interesting decade ahead of us, folks. Because um, I think it's going to take... You know, COVID um, sped up digital transformation, right? And I hate to use that buzzword, but it did. It sped up the whole idea of moving to the cloud and, and, and upgrading and investing in technology in ways that maybe pre-COVID you could never get the board to agree to. And now sure. they're like, yeah, yeah, do it. But on the other side, it also it decentralizes knowledge work, which preserves it. Right. You know, it's it's uh, it's definitely it's I call it I call it sometimes a little euphemistically I call it the present resiliency exercise because <laughs> that's what that's what, that's what a K-shaped economic recovery basically means is that some are passing this. You know, I mean. You were in the army. We do war games all the time, you know. Sometimes that four breaks through the wire. Sometimes you, either way, you go on the lobster and steak when it's just training. But you know, it's it's it is it's very much it's just a question of resiliency. And the companies that are making through it through this, you know, and recovering well are the companies that have demonstrated their ability to be resilient. And just going right. to grow. Uh, but it does introduce a significant amount of risk. I mean, look at the recent data breach with the VA. You know, 
it was like 50,000 records were breached. And you could tell even when they just tell you what records were, 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 uh, were compromised. And you can tell exactly who the target audience was. They, right. they targeted them by age. They targeted them by veteran demographic. Uh, and who ended up getting hit the mostly was small business contractors, government and military contractors, because that's the thing a lot of people do with their knowledge and experience after they retire, right? Is basically their MOS, but on the civilian side. Right, they go into the defense industrial complex. And then uh, senior citizen medical records in in retirement homes were compromised. And so I was actually targeted with this with an email that looked like exactly the kind of email the VA would send if you were to change your bank account, for example, your direct deposit account. And even the links in it were accurate. It was exactly one red flag. It came from a dot-com address. I followed it through. What is this dot com? It seemed to be, based on my research, a company that provides web hosting for your typical small village government speed trap or whatever, you know, to, to do their things, which included the ability to have OAuth 2. And I did not even know this was a thing until I started researching who's sending me this email about nothing that I did with my account from a account where everyone domain where it's not apparently there is a dot gov wide oauth2 login called max.gov one click tuck. and on the other side of it was some javascript to just scrape all your information because you said oh yeah max.gov login i'm familiar with this i i haven't used it um i'm very very luddite when it comes to the va fun story they lost a travel voucher of mine recently and that's all i want to cover <laughs> And they're all like, well, do you have the paper receipt? And I'm like, well, uh, it's 2019, so no. <laughs> like, well, we can't do anything for you without a paper receipt. And I'm like, of course you can do something for me. You can look in the performance logs of the computers where I claim that I entered the thing. The, the computers where I claim that a paper receipt was issued. You can look in the performance logs, and assuming you've written the program right... You should see you it. You have a log message that said that yeah. you printed the paper receipt for the patient, right? And I guess they weren't under, they were L1. They're not understanding what I'm saying. And I'm saying, you know what? I don't need you to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I just need <laughs> you to do what I tell you. <laughs> I just need you to communicate, communicate to the other person. They'll understand what I'm saying. And as I'm talking, like, okay, say it again, Mr. Cal. As, as I'm talking, I hear them typing. Click, 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 click. Mr. Keller, we found, was, was it where I told you to look in the exact spot in your system that I've never been in? I, I don't log into systems where I'm not authorized. You give me a path, password and you're going to say, this is a massive password for all of Amazon.com. You can move all of their money everywhere in any form of currency. I'll be like, cool, pull my lighter out my pocket. And now I don't know it anymore, you know? Because yeah. in the long, sure, in the short run, I might move some funds, and forensics fraud detection might or might not know where I moved those funds. But in the long run, I can get myself a lot more funds via my regular get rich quick scheme called work a normal salaried legal legitimate job if I do that with the information, right? Right. Crazy. So we're, we're almost out of time, uh, Shulam. So let me ask you, what's one thing you loved about your military service as we wrap up? 
Oh, teamwork, camaraderie, no matter what kind of challenge. If we had to stay up all night scrounging little bits of wire to repair a line and at the end of the night, boom, mortar attacks, teamwork got us through it. You know, if we were invading Iraq too fast and down to two MREs a day because we just ran much faster than the supply chains, teamwork got us through it. Camaraderie, you know, whether whether you were like working on like, oh, someone mislabeled all these IP addresses and the whole DNS is messed up or, you know, let's shovel this trench or, you know, hey, someone accidentally set fire to our cable. It's always camaraderie, teamwork, being, you know, brothers and sisters, united in a mission with a vision, you know, that gets you through everything. It does. Shulam Keller, folks. Remember, Shulam, not Shalom, not Shalom. Shulam. I don't care. Shulam is a very old Jewish name and a great one at it. Um, typically attributed to very, very smart folks. And I don't think Shulam disappointed us here, folks. Um, one of the more interesting conversations we've had on the show. That's it for another Veteran November episode, folks. We'll be back with a lot more as we wrap up this month. And um, and 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 look at being thankful. It's the season of thankfulness. It's Thanksgiving. And um, we have a lot to be thankful for, including our uh, brave men and women. So Shulam, thank you for your service and thank you for all you do for the InfoSec community. Um, I know that we go from defending our nation to defending our network, data, information, and architecture as well when we're done. So we don't really quite stop defending. Folks, more coming up. So make sure you subscribe, tune in. We'll be back with more later on tomorrow. Until then, Stay healthy, folks. Enjoy your holiday. Enjoy this month as we get into the jolly, happy season of the year. Um, And hopefully we get through this one peacefully as well. Until then, folks, this is James Azer signing off, wishing you all a health and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com. 